0: Hello and welcome to the swim brief. I'm Chris DeSantis. Uh I have a guest on this week. I'm really, really excited about it. Um people know that uh, usually this podcast format is is myself and Eric and Joel. But this week I have Nikki Kett on the podcast. I'm really excited to talk to her about a lot of stuff. So welcome, Nikki. Um you are what? You are the, the the founder of Nikki Kett coaching. Like what do you call yourself for a job title?
1: That's a good question. I'm shifting from a coach who makes money to seeing myself as a CEO of a business. Wow. Well,
0: yeah. Well, I want to know more about that because um, sometimes this podcast format turns into Chris solicits uh, free business advice, and um, I I think I sort of got plugged back into you recently. Um, and it's just so interesting when you get, like, I remember, um, probably our, our history, well, our history doesn't begin with this point, but at some point I referenced that you were going this way, um, on a podcast. And I give you a hard time about the fact that, you know, you stole my original idea of putting your name and then coaching afterwards (laughs) for a,
1: I remember seeing that, I, I think (laughs) Uh, It was on Swim Swam and you're like, very original Nikki Cat Coaching. And then I saw your business name and I was like, well.
0: (laughs) 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 Sometimes all my closest friends go, sometimes, Chris, maybe you should remind people that making fun of them is something you do like when you like somebody. Right. And I go, yeah, I guess so. But also, I don't know. it's sort of a filtering process for friends for me. Like once people figure out that that's a reason why they, I like them, um, then, then we're sort of off to the races in in terms of a relationship. But so give us a little bit of background and I, I will just say, before you talk in general about what it is you do, people that listen to this podcast or people that know me know that I'm like probably a very harsh critic of anybody that steps into the space that you're stepping into. And I, I want to say enthusiastically, I'm reading your stuff and I'm like, this is really, really, really good. So tell people a little bit, like what what is Nikki Kett coaching all about?
1: Yeah, well, thank you first for having me and for the encouragement. Um, <laughs> when I left coaching at Michigan, it kind of started off as, helping women grow their confidence. And because my network is a lot of athletes and former athletes, and I worked with a couple college teams last year, um, I was really healing from my time in elite sport. And I noticed that a lot of the women had, you know, when we're in coaching, we're dealing with a lot of subconscious beliefs and rewiring, rewiring the brain and the mindset, also processing emotions in the body that keep us stuck. And so over about a year, I finally realized like, holy shit, we all have internalized so many things from sport that really holds us back from expressing our full potential. And I work specifically with women. So it's got a little bit of women's empowerment, flair, feminism, patriarchy built in, but it does impact men as well um but yeah i've just really you know my background before this doing almost a decade of coaching at johns hopkins Penn, and then michigan very elite institutions i also studied sports psychology but also organizational dynamics Um, so really reflecting how culture impacts the individual their motivation what's happening for them and the more that I think about what do I really believe, how can we actually support athletes, not just when they're in sport, but unwinding from it, we have to look at the cultures that create the conditioning um, that we carry around with us after or in sport or after sport. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at now. It's It's been almost 19 months since leaving collegiate coaching and starting this business. And so it has been an evolution. I think yeah. the more healing that I've done for myself, the more I'm just willing to be open and and share. And I didn't have yeah. that awareness right after leaving. I was just kind of like, ah, what am I gonna do? Right. <laughs> Start coaching business because I love personal development and helping people grow. And so,
0: yeah. Yeah. I think you'd like, I I can I, remember going off on my own and having a sense that I could help people, but that there is a, a stage of development where you actually start doing the work and then you find out sort of more specifically like what it is you can help with. And I, I can see that in what you're doing. Now I've, I've started at the end, right? And, and so what I would like for you to fill people on, because I have a little bit of a sense of it, but sometimes I forget what my audience doesn't know, right? You reference like you're, you, you stopped coaching at Michigan, you started this job, you had this history as a collegiate swim coach at really um, elite places. We have one of those in common, uh, Penn, and I definitely want to get to that later because um, I think there's some really interesting things to talk about, but just like give people an idea, I guess, of what the range of that experience was, right? Being a coach in elite, uh, swimming settings, what were the highs? What were the lows? What were, what were the really important parts to your story that inform what you do now?
1: Yeah. I think each place I was at taught me a lot, um, at Johns Hopkins. You know working with george kennedy we really worked well together and so much of what we did my second year there i will always remember we had our women's program won five realized at ncaas which wow. was pretty unheard of um the year before we won the our first ever yeah and so really just thinking about how we did that was It was all about empowering women and something that george really believed in is helping them believe in themselves giving them confidence and there were still you know the normal challenges we had people quitting and because it's a a rigorous place to go to school lots of engineers and pre-med um and but i think that was good like we we believed in addition through subtraction like we supported people when they felt like they didn't want to be a part of that culture and i think that allowed us to create a really great culture of people that want to be there um i would say that ivy league is similar to d3 and that there are in scholarships i think you know Penn
0: can I just interject one thing? Cause you okay. talk about George Kennedy. I want to echo, I want to echo your point. I'm so jealous, by the way, I have to admit, I'm very, very jealous that you got the opportunity to work for George. Um, I'm jealous of all the people that got to be an assistant coach of George. Cause I really, I really wanted to do that. Um, and, um, and, but, even despite the fact that i didn't get to i i was just taking a shower i was worked out i'd taken a shower before this and i was thinking like if i had to make a mount rushmore of men in the sport of swimming that have provided really positive mentorship to me george kennedy would be on there um and Uh, I ought to write him a letter, I think probably after this and just remind him because I think of him all the time. I'm really grateful, um, for some moments where I I think he had this beautiful sense of, of, of leadership and, and leadership being that, uh, I'm going to use sort of the power and influence I have to help people that, um, that. Are having a hard time with what they're doing right now i'm going to lift them up and i know that he did that for me so i'm very jealous of the george kennedy piece this and i, I don't want to miss the opportunity before you go on to pen to talk a little bit about um george but but please continue yeah, with the no, t- transition I mean, to pen <laughs>
1: we'll send this to, to george as yeah well. let's send
0: it to him and then yeah. i don't need to send him a letter he can just hear me talk about it
1: but yeah i mean i probably wouldn't have stayed in coaching as long as i did if it weren't for him like he really empowered me to believe in myself. He's like, you're an amazing coach. You really have something to offer. He, first day on the job, like I didn't have any coaching experience. I was just graduating from Kenyan and he really listened. Like he really wanted to hear my perspective, what I had to say, and we didn't agree on everything. You know, sometimes we, sometimes I challenged him and, um, <laughs> we would respect each other enough to be able to have those conversations and i just i learned a lot from that i was what 22 so (laughs) a lot of the athletes were similar in age to me um so i was really grateful that that was my first real world job and coaching position
0: yeah um so you go yeah. on to Penn, Penn Penn no. is similar to Hopkins. I actually tried to go the other direction when I tell tell that story. Like I tried to go from Penn to Hopkins cuz I so much wanted to be around George. But um what 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 was in your mind when you said, "Okay, I'm going to make this jump to D1?" Cuz I think too that's that sometimes can be a barrier like I don't think in that case um, because of some of the similarities between the two places, it's a more natural transition to make. But what was in your mind at that time when you were like, okay, this is the next step for me? And what, and then what did you experience, I would say?
1: You know, there were a lot of factors. I think George knew he was going to retire um, in a couple of years. So there was, for a while, I thought that I would stay D- Division Three forever and take over. And there were some you know, presidential changes at Hopkins where we weren't getting the support in recruiting. And I just was like, I don't know if I want to have this be like my first head coaching experience with the way things were going. So actually Mark Christian, I don't know if you know Mark, but he uh, also swam at Kenyon. So he kind of recruited me to Penn and we really, I, I just love, learning and knowledge. And I had just finished one master's degree, but he's like, you should come to Penn, we can work together. And you can also, which I know you took advantage of when you were at Penn, have the opportunity to apply for a grad program and, you know, they cover your tuition. So
0: I didn't get mine paid for because I was a part-time employee. You've, you've touched on a sore point. Oh, no, <laughs> I had to pay the full price. <laughs> at least it was only well, one year
1: <laughs> that was definitely a drawing point for me yeah. i wanted to live in a city. I felt like I still wanted to be at a place that valued academics and not just only the swimming piece, so it felt like the next step I felt comfortable with that um and I think. Penn had different challenges. The the environment was fun. Like we didn't put tons of pressure on winning, um, but I definitely looking back, realized that there were things that impacted me when I worked there um, in just the culture. I think there and the the Ivy League can be a bit of a good old boys club and um, just comments about women and and bodies and how the men's team talked, um, you know. For a while, I thought it was really funny, and I I can joke around, I can have a good laugh. But I think by the end of it, there were some struggles that I had with allowing that to continue. That just wasn't what I believed in, and how I wanted to lead and coach. Um, and so I. Feel like i woke up one day i was like i don't know that this is helping me i feel like i feel very obsessive about my body and um at the same time i was in this program this amazing grad program where i was so supported and my professors are like you are so brilliant. You have brilliant ideas. And it was all about leadership and culture and awareness. And I feel like every class I took at Penn, I got an A or an A plus in. Not not in a perfectionist way, just because I love the material so much. And it was really interesting afterwards and like towards the end of that experience to reflect on what I was learning in grad school about how culture impacts the way people show up. Yeah. And how leadership impacts the way people show up. And I realized just how much shit I had internalized. And that was something that was really hard when, um, you know, then I get hired at Michigan because of my, a lot of the reason was because of my educational background, um, and having the organizational dynamics and sports psych and, so I kind of was brought in to work on some cultural things. But honestly, and I, sorry,
0: I just want to interject because I want to yeah, so, um, I want to pump you up a little bit, too, because you're 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 right. I am I bet that is a big reason why you got hired. But as somebody that used to coach at Penn, I, I will I want to give you the credit as well that when I was there, um, we were kind of like. A average-to-bottom Ivy League team. We hadn't qualified anybody for the Ben's NCAA meet, I think, for, like, 15, 20 years, something like that. And you were there, and you were part of a time when Penn changed into what it is today, where, competitively, like, there are high-achieving swimmers year-in, year-out at Penn. Um, that's something that's different than, than, than when I coach there. So I think that probably played a role in Michigan as well. Um, That it wasn't like you were coming from some, you know, bottom tier uh, division one environment. You had, you had shown coaching wise that you could get people to be competitive all the way up at the top of the NCAA level. So it was a natural fit then also to go to Michigan.
1: Yeah. And I think Penn did helped me grow my confidence as a coach in a lot of ways because I had my own group. Um, I really worked with sprint and middle distance on the women's side. And I feel like I got to experience putting my philosophy into a group and kind of, it's like when you have a culture where different coaches have different groups, it's like little microcosms of cultures within the greater culture. And so, um, I felt like that was something that I could really control every day. And I did enjoy the recruiting and, and building the relationships that I did um, when I was at Penn. Because I think it's a very specific niche that you're recruiting. So it's not like you're casting this huge net to anyone yeah. and everyone. Um, so I I had fun with that. It was, you know, we're always trying to out-recruit Harvard, Princeton, and Yale, but um, yeah, there were a lot of things that I took from my experience at Penn. Um, yeah. Well, also, yeah, when I when I I was really excited to go to Michigan because it was a place that, you know, it was the highest level, and I I had some reservations beforehand, like, is this going to be right for me? Because I swam in D three i coached in d3 i really knew myself i know why i'm coaching i'm coaching to help people grow yeah and i can help people grow by helping them learn how to win but i will never compromise that piece and i'm sure you know i've gotten out of balance at points or not had that awareness or we all have but at the end of the day the reason why i wanted to coach is because really when i was at kenyon my time had just transformed me so much as a human um that that's why i wanted to be in collegiate coaching
0: you had so. that perspective like you 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 and that was important to you you wanted to hold on to that and yeah i mean i think that's pretty natural i definitely and I, it's almost even as you're describing it, and we'll talk about this in some of your posts too, I can hear a little bit of that imposter syndrome coming into like, oh, you know, poor me, division three me, you know, like, am I really cut out for this um, top, top competitive level, right? I mean, I, um, I was a division three swimmer as well, and I've learned not to talk down my own swimming accomplishments. It took me a long, long time to do it, to not just say like, oh, I wasn't very good. Heck yeah, I was good. I'm I'm, I'm better at swimming than 99% of the people that try swimming. Like, it's so ridiculous for, for anybody to say that, but like, when you get up to that level, you know, it warps your mind. You start thinking like, well, I'm not quite as good as this person that's trying to go to the Olympics. So like, I guess I'm not good, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think like, I, you know, I, in my post talk a lot about perfectionism and it's not, it wasn't all or nothing. Like I did really believe in the value that I had in my perspective, but I also had this other side of me that was dealing with the imposter syndrome or dealing with things that I had internalized, um, as a woman being in sport or just, just in general, I was 25 to 28 at Penn. So going through your twenties, you're still, Figuring things out, even yeah. in your 30s and 40s, we're all, <laughs> we're all always figuring things out. Yep. Um, but I really did believe in that perspective, and when I went into Michigan and interviewed, I really said to myself, "Like, I'm going to share exactly who I am. I'm not going to try to be anything other than me. I'm going to share what I think I can add here." Um, and at that point, I was considering like. Do I want to go the coaching consulting route? Do I want to consider doing a a shift, a career shift? Or do I want to stay in collegiate coaching? And then the opportunity presented itself. I ended up getting the job and um, I was like, you know what, whatever happens, I'm going to learn a lot. (laughs) So I took the job and yeah, I think. I really did come in with that these are my ideas, this is how I can help. I, I really believe deeply believe that I could help, but it was it was a challenge, you know. I would say the first month or so, like sharing what I shared about my experience at Hopkins and empowering women and helping them. And that's we wanted to shift the culture of the women's program at Michigan to feel more like a team environment and to not feel so harsh and i talked about this like confidence and empowerment and what i got was nikki that that's division three that does not work here and Mm -hmm. it's just my response was but humans are humans Right. right like human psychology is human psychology whether you're in d3 you're in the ivy league you're in d1 but it's so hard to lose, it's so easy to lose sight of that when your brain's in survival and you're like, but I have to win. <laughs> and if I don't win, then what happens? And then we have to like manipulate, control, force athletes, create this harsh, pr- harsh pressured culture. And that's what the brain thinks is going to be most effective to build a culture. And it just, it just doesn't work that way. Um, but I really struggled to be able to, you know, partially it's on me because I didn't always have it in me to continue fighting back. And I felt like I was in between a rock and a hard place. Like, we want you to do this. But at the same time, it's like, shut the fuck up. We, You don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, why am I even here then? Right. right. <laughs> so um, it was an interesting experience for three years
0: yeah and i think like this definitely provides and we're, we're about to segue into some more specifics and that you've talked about um to bring up some social media posts but i i think one thing i want to echo in what you said is my even if i go back to my experience um also coaching in college and hearing other coaches like i think probably in coaching the number one way knowledge is shared is coach to coach. Like, do we have a mentorship model? Like somebody else tells you like, hey, here's how you do this thing. And you go, mm, okay, that's interesting. And you try it, maybe, depending on what I'm about to say, you might not want to try it, right? But then you sort of iterate and you, you go your own direction with it. I can't tell you how many people, when I was a Division One uh, combined coach, would just look at me at the eye and essentially give me some version of here's how you coach women. You're cruel to them. You're mean to them. You like manipulate them into doing what you want. And that's just how it is. That's how you coach women. And I I remember the whole time thinking like. That that can't be right. That can't be right. And yet everybody who I'm looking to for that mentorship, that's what they're telling me. Is the way to do it so i can very easily see how that becomes like predominant in in the culture this is how it is you know this is the way um and there's people i think all around there who i they have to be having the same thought that i'm having that i think you've had as well that goes that that can't be right and i think you maybe even take it a step further goes i know that's not right here's what's right yeah <laughs> and i and, um But before we get into the specific post, I just I I do want to give you um, a little bit more opportunity to promote what you're doing. So, given all that experience, given what you told me in the beginning about what it is you do, like what does a a really successful Nikki Ket coaching client look like? Give me some examples. So maybe if people listening to this know somebody or they are somebody who could be. Would get a lot of it working from you. Like, what would that look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the reasons I am willing to speak up and share is because I know that I'm not alone, and a lot of my clients are elite coaches because that was my network. Whether it's club coaches or they're coaching in the Power Five, and they have a lot of they're they're very educated. They might have degrees in counseling. You know, they're they're smart ambitious women, and they want to make an impact. And I think one of the things that I've realized is I have to go first and sharing the truth because a lot of the women I coach are in the exact same situation that I was in where they care, they want to empower women, they want to empower men, they want to change culture, they they want to win, but they also have empathy. And, you know, I I've, I've done a lot of human design and more more of that work with myself. And one of my gifts is my intuition, like deeply knowing. And I think that is what I struggled was struggled with was really listening to I, I knew that things were not right but i didn't yeah. trust myself in that and so i didn't always speak up and i just internalized a lot of shame i felt very small i felt like i wasn't using my gift to actually impact people and I, and that's what i help women do you know whether they're a doctor who's struggling to really know what their gift is and and share that and to set boundaries around their energy cuz our energy is really important too we end up yeah. taking so much shit on. It's like, okay, well, if you're not going to listen to my perspective, well, then I better put my head down and like do something so that you actually think I'm valuable here, even though I'm not actually allowed to like coach <laughs> or like okay. do really yeah. well. That the women work, the more we go through the coaching process, which is really helping them see, Their limitations in their mind and how they're suppressing themselves it's really about empowering them to speak up so that they can continue to have that impact even when they're the only maybe the only woman that has that perspective or the only person that is saying what they're saying it's being willing to just stand that ground to hold that space and to have a different perspective and not Make yourself wrong for having a different perspective, but to say, "Hey, I actually have a lot of value because I have a different perspective, and because I'm not willing to just say yes to what everybody else is doing around me."
0: Yeah. So I, I, I and now I'm going to transition to your post, and I, I, what I, what, what, what you just said makes me think of is a point that I have always made, and I, I, I think this is along the lines of. Um, I, I do consider myself a feminist and I think one of the mistakes that um, or sort of gaps in leadership we have in in sort of male society writ large is that we fail to we, we look at feminism as something that's a threat to what we are instead of seeing so many aspects of it as, Um, mutually beneficial. Like there's a, there's an absolute positive case to be made for the things that you're talking about there. And like one of them is for instance, if, if I really like, why do I coach swimming? Why am I involved in the sport of swimming? I love swimming to death as a sport. I want it to be amazing. I want it to be an amazing environment for people to to be it. On a basic fundamental level, having like a very narrow group of people with a very narrow set of experiences control the experience of what it is to be in swimming cannot possibly create the best possible experience. It just can't. Like like (laughs) that's not how great ideas come. Just by like, you know what, we'll just, um, we'll just take like 10% of the population and those will be the only people who get to contribute ideas. It just doesn't make any sense. And um, so let's get into one of these posts that I think speaks to exactly what you're saying. These are, these are things you've shared on Instagram and there's some specifics in here um, that I think are, are worth highlighting. Um, so the first one uh, that I, I think references what you just said starts with, women are rarely given the opportunity to express the genius that lives inside them. And you don't need to read the whole post out loud, but like give people a little bit of a sense of what you were discussing there and some of the experiences you were drawing upon.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what's coming up for me is like, it it really goes back to the patriarchal society that we live in. And and really what happens is we live in this culture where nothing is ever enough. Like I, I'm not good enough. I don't have enough achievements and our, our worth for for men and for women is like well what have you done and not being able to see the person behind that and i think it creates a very hierarchical structure where it's like i'm either better than you and you're here so it's like power over and less than and but that really internally is coming from insecurity and not just being okay like trying to win from that place is always generated from negative emotion like scarcity i'm not good enough i need my athlete to win perform achieve in order for me to feel okay with myself and i think that it's a lot of masculine energy like constantly doing achieving performing, never slowing down, never stopping to reflect. And, and that's what the feminine is, is like, we can slow down, we can have empathy, we can sit in our emotions, we can see that my belief is that swimming is the most overtrained sport. And if we spent maybe 20% less time training and working on Our emotions and our mind and getting ourselves to feeling good, living in gratitude, um, and really just deciding, let athletes decide what goals they want to achieve and how can we help support them achieve those goals instead of, I don't have enough, now I have to force this to happen. And then what happens is when women maybe have a different perspective, it's like, well, we can't make time for that. We can't make time for team building because we got to fucking train.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that soft stuff. We don't, you know, we don't have time. We'll get to that when we have time, which is, which is hilarious on its face because when you look at all these teams, um, I don't care what team you're on. Like the, the issues that you're talking about, I bet they are actually front of mind in terms of if you were to ask the coaches, like, what are we struggling with right now? And yet it'd be like, um, well, our turns aren't very good. We're not going to, we're going to work on it for, I don't know, five minutes every other week, but like, I don't know why they're not getting better. Like, you know, it's just like, it takes time. Of course it takes time. It takes resources. It takes effort. It takes planning, all this stuff. Like it's, it's stuff that coaches know. I, I don't know a coach who doesn't know that that is how you improve at something. And yet, um, even as people are gaining greater awareness for it, the the way that a lot of organizations are still distributing their um, their resources in that stuff is not aligned with what the actual situation is on the ground. Um, there's a piece of this, though, like where you talk pretty openly about the way that. Um, and I I I I taught you about this on the phone because I there's some pieces of what you're reading where I go I relate to the mm-hmm. hierarchy stuff you know like and I go like that's that's right in my wheelhouse that's what I experienced as well in these situations but I certainly don't can't recall ever for instance what you cite here um, my head coach like making a comment about my body right how did I, how I looked and um, I guess. Talk a little bit more about that experience and and how common do you think that experience is for women that are working in this space?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, whether it's in swimming or other workplaces, there's just this over hyper focus on our bodies. And even, you know, it wasn't always necessarily just projected at me, but just comments on like, Oh, she's got a great body, or she's such an athlete, or she looks so good, and like just internalizing those messages. And I think it's it's the perfectionism again, connecting to like external validation. And when my perspective now, like we can look at even the diet culture in our society, which is a whole other rant I could go on, but my perspective now is that when if we just keep women obsessing over their bodies and they think that when my body looks a certain way and this happens for men too it's like when i have this body then i'm gonna feel confident or i'm getting all of this validation from the people outside of me it's like if i lose five pounds people are like oh my God, you look amazing. And it's like, I could look amazing because I hate my life right now. And I'm trying to control my body because I feel so out of control with everything else. And that's what happens. And in, inside of that validation is really suppression of self. And that's what I was talking about when, when women are obsessed with, oh, it, I just have to lose 10 pounds and then I'll feel confident to do all these things and actually start standing in my power and my voice and speaking up and making an impact. That's, that doesn't happen because you have to change the beliefs. And if everything you're taking from your environment is, you're going to only get praised or noticed when you look a certain way. Right, like, I would right. get comments, like, not even people that intentionally want to harm me, but, like, hey, you're you're the best-looking coach on this pool deck, or your boyfriend. Right. Nominally,
0: they think they're paying you a compliment, but, like, if, if yeah, you think about it for 30 weird. seconds.
1: Like, yeah, thanks. I know. I'm really hot. <laughs> and it's, like, <laughs> but that's, like, not what – I want people to see me for, like, I want people to see me and be like, she's fucking brilliant. She is going to impact the world and you know, looking good should be more about knowing that I'm taking care of myself, that this is my body because this is my body. When I feel good about myself internally, I'm eating well, I'm sleeping well, I'm exercising in a way that's supportive to me, not 20 hours a week because I gotta right. keep up the the athlete body that I had when I was an athlete. Um, and I, I do notice that with the clients that I work with. You know, when we first start, when we have a consultation and we talk about things, it's like they wanna feel better in their body, they wanna lose weight. But those things happen like naturally they can start losing weight when they have more compassion and love for themselves and they realize like actually i'm a brilliant woman and i have something to say and i have something to impact the world with then like they're not obsessing about their body weight anymore
0: yeah i mean i think that there's there's this paradox right so like you know that you get caught in this loop and I know it because I've, I've suffered from disordered eating. And a lot of it had to do with how I felt about how, um, my body looks, you get caught in this paradox where you go, I'm unhappy with how my body looks. So I'm going to be cruel to myself in order to get my body to look better so that I'll feel good about myself. You never complete that loop. Like you, 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 you being cruel to yourself creates more pain and, the, the pain keeps you where you are. Um, I, um, I've been on a journey with that in, in recovering from it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. I have a really good friend that um, gives me, he's a professor of nutrition. So he gives me a lot of common sense advice on certain pieces to do. Um, he's helped me a lot to be more compassionate to myself in the way um, and, and I share like, I do share like progress pictures with him. But, um, one of the things I'll, I'll always point out about the progress pictures is my before photo, I'm smiling in the before photo. Cause the first thing I had to do was figure out how to look at myself in the mirror and go, I like that. Like I, I couldn't, that couldn't wait until the end of the process. Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't start from I'll like myself or I'll be kind to myself later. It it never worked.
1: Yeah, it's it it's all connected because we can't create a body we love from self hate. We can't create yeah. a life we love from self hate. And what's coming up for me now is like there's um there's a video of a rat the rat dopamine study. It's like, okay, if you get this validation, your body looks a certain way, you get dopamine because people are like, you look amazing. Or you have all these achievements and people are like, wow, I wish that I was as successful as you. And it's literally the same idea. The rat is in this cage and it's got a, a plug into its brain. So every time it hits this lever, it's getting dopamine. And over time it's conditioned. So the rat is just sitting there and it's just doing this. Yeah. And eventually lover. doesn't eat, doesn't drink, doesn't sleep. Right. Right. <laughs> and that's exactly what happens to us when, what we get from society and culture is this constant validation and praise from just from achievement. It's like, and I wrote another post about, like, stop just idolizing athletes for their achievements because it, it's just so much pressure. Like, do we care about who they are as people? Right. And it's so hard to get past the dopamine because it's an addiction. I mean, we got these too. where our dopamine is so messed up. Um, we, we have to really think about what are we gonna feel like when we get there? And dopamine feels very—it's an addiction.
0: I, yeah, I, I mean one of triggers. one of my like, biggest pieces of advice—if I have an athlete that achieves something that like they—they're like this is the most amazing achievement. Like they—they they get there, they reach that top of that mountain. What I tell them time after time after time: turn your phone off for like forty-eight hours, because. It is so destructive, actually. And like, yeah, like, am I super proud of my before and after pics? Yeah. Will I ever share them to social media? Absolutely not. (laughs) Because it would be the biggest mistake I could make in terms of what I, what I'm experiencing in terms of like progress on myself, because I would just hop on that dopamine roller coaster. I think. And yeah, 24, 48 hours, God, it would feel amazing. What comes after that? Not good. Not I know I know I'm wise enough. Third took me 39 years, but I'm wise enough at least to figure out that part is not there. Okay, I want to try another one of these posts. Um, okay. You you have a, a a reel, I guess is what I I'm, I would call it. Um, when you say what nobody's talking about, and you have a post a, a, a point there about imposter syndrome. Talk a little bit more about what we were getting at there.
1: Yeah. So I've really just been thinking more and more about how do we, you know, the, the major pain point I would say that the people I work with struggle with is that they're really successful. They've got it all on paper, but they don't feel that internally. and And so many of us struggle with that in this culture. And I think it's again from being very out of balance in this masculine energy and it, and it goes with the dopamine because we're just on that train constantly. And the reality is that being a human we we're, we're emotional beings. We we have to experience emotions. We have to fail. We have to struggle we are going to be sad sometimes i was going through the emotions that i've been going through the last two weeks because i'm getting ready to move and i threw my back out it's like defeated panic stressed pressure and what's different now is that i actually take time to sit in that to feel it and then decide how do i want to respond and move forward and what happens i think with imposter syndrome is we are in this go, go, go constant energy where we experience doubts in our brain. And then what happens is we believe the doubt. So we're like, oh, I've been training for six months and I'm getting closer to taper now and my brain's freaking out. And so now I gotta go do more stuff. I can't actually just slow down and relax. And that's what we do. We play that cycle out in a million different ways where if we really, learned to create emotional safety, to be in the body. It's like, I'm not gonna die if I feel panic in my body. What does that feel like? And the more you do that, the more the brain is gonna stop giving you high alert for like every little thing. You're like, I have to go speak up for myself. And your brain's like freaking out. Oh
0: no,
1: no, I better go like write another research paper, write eight more books or get another certification before I can ever do that. Right. But if we just teach our brain and our body, if we come back into ourselves and we can internally let that process through, there's different ways to move emotions and energy and all of that, then it moves through the body and it's like not as big of a deal. And then we have all this other space to remember, like, why why am I really good at this job? Why am I valuable? Um but we can't get there if we. It's like taking a kickboard and you push the kickboard underwater because you're like, I don't want to feel any of those doubts or emotions or any of it. So you push it down and then, you know, you've seen this at practice. The kickboard comes up and knocks Smack up in the face. You're, yeah. you're like, damn it. Why did that happen? <laughs> so
0: I, I um, literally had an athlete tell me last night at practice, Nikki, he goes, I, he's, he's wonderful with the stuff that he shares with me um, you know because I learned so much from it he goes ah oh, I meant I I got to that we're doing a really hard practice he's like I got to that point where I'm just mentally blocked again I I want to keep going and I want to keep you know like going faster but I I feel like I can't and I'm just trying to avoid thinking about that and that I said. Okay, but that's like that's that's where we've got to do work right there because you will you will not solve this problem by not thinking about it. Like that's that's unfortunately, you you actually have to experience what you are going through. Fighting against the experience that you are going through is is where the work is for you. And I think so many people have internalized that message, like, oh well, negativity is bad, so if I just don't. Be negative. I'll solve all my. I'll solve all my problems. I, I think I, I. I. really agree, um, largely with some of the critiques you have um, of masculinity, and I have a nuanced point that I'm that I'm kind of working on that I'm workshopping that I'm just going to share randomly here. Um, And I can see maybe you're frozen as well again, but we're still you can can still hear me. Yeah. Amazing. Um I think that again, there's there's been a failure of leadership by men. We have allowed the wrong guys to define what masculinity is. And so, yes, the the large popular definition of what masculinity is ends up with all these negative consequences for both men, women, everybody that exists in society, um, and you know that I have empathy for my my fellow men on the level that you know being there there are aspects of being a, a man that are more sink or swim than than anything else, right? Like if you look, I know that IQ is an imperfect way of measuring intelligence i'm not going to suggest that it is but if you look like if you measure women and men on iq you will find roughly the same average but what you will find is far more men in the distribution of where you would classify somebody as having a mental disability and far more men on the other end like that is to me evidence that life as a man is on some fundamental levels like more sink or swim if you're on a dating app and you're a woman you're more likely to have people reach out to you even though that can be often a horrifying experience than like than an average average guy but we've taken that sort of sink or swim circumstance of our life and extrapolated it to that must be just the way life is and we're either at the top inflicting pain on everybody else which is a miserable existence or we're at the bottom and we're receiving the pain, you know, and hoping to, to get up to the position where we can inflict pain on other people. And I, I, I just don't think, like, again, I have that feeling in my heart where I go, this is how everybody has taught, taught me how it is. It's not right. It's not right. Actually, like, even if I go back to somebody like George Kennedy and, and what I really admired about him, okay, if, if, if being masculine is really about being strong right, if that's something we associate masculinity. What is strength? Strength to me is you can empower other people who are in a, in a less favorable position than you. Like not that you can inflict pain on somebody else. It's quite the opposite. So I'm hoping, like I said, I'm workshopping eventually um, that, you know, it can start to, in my coaching, redefine what masculinity is in a more sort of pro-social and and frankly positive direction. So that so that the things that you're talking about um, as a critique of masculinity become less and less valid because we've redefined what it is.
1: Yeah, I think two things come up from that. And number one, I think finding we have to find like balance within ourselves in masculine and feminine. And that requires really being honest about, you know, what do I, what do I need? How do I take care of myself? And especially for men, because they do experience a lot of pressure, these head coaches of elite programs. And, you know, you gotta win and you gotta get the bonus and you have to put athletes on the Olympic team. And if you're not doing that work to make sure that like, I, I'm taking care of myself. And a lot of those cultures don't allow for space for men to actually take care of themselves. They're struggling with all sorts of health issues, which is just really, you know, manifested unprocessed pain in the body. Yeah. And so number one, people have to come back into balance and say, what? do I need to support myself? Like, it's not normal to never take a vacation. It's not normal to never take a fucking day off. Like, you don't have to, the day that you're off is the day on Sunday where you're catching up on recruiting. And I just went back to back big 10 weekends. And then two weeks later, I got to go back to back NC2As. Like, it is not a normal thing to put yourself through that. And that's fine. Sometimes we're just going to be out of balance, but we have to figure out how do I refuel myself after that? It's really important. So that's the first piece is coming back into balance for ourselves, whether you're man or woman, we all have masculine and feminine energy. And number two, to be, I think my idea of masculinity is, is holding space for the feminine. I think this in myself like if i i really trust in my masculine side like i'm gonna be able to do what i need to do to get myself moving forward but i also i trust that so much that i create space for my feminine which is like you know what my back's flared up and i gotta take a day like i on monday we were gonna talk and i was like i have to be with my body right now and take care of my body right now, I'm not going to be able to like give of myself if I don't feel where I'm at and take care of that. Um, and I think, you know, that's something that male coaches can do. That's really what the masculine is, is like, I feel so grounded in myself that I can hold space for what my athletes are going through. I can help support them. I'm not afraid of their emotions. I'm not afraid of their struggles. I'm not afraid of their challenges. I just know that's part of the human experience. But I think because so many coaches are actually really afraid to be vulnerable and admit that struggle and to say, you know, I I might need to go to therapy myself. I might need to get a coach myself. I might need to process years of things that I've been through as an elite coach you know, never, never having time to spend with my family. Never yeah. being allowed that. Like, that's just, it's not normal in elite cultures. It's like, well, you got to compromise, like literally give up everything in your life so that you can be this, you can be on the Olympic staff. And it, and it's like, okay, the day after the Olympics, what do we do? Well, it's ready for the next one.
0: Yeah. It's
1: like, let's just slow down a minute and think about yeah. how am i feeling what do i need how do i you know fuel my body how do i help myself so i'm not in this like chronic stress and then when you're in that chronic stress what happens is the only way that you can feel better is to win to get more to manipulate control it's like you're feeling so much stressed internally that then that becomes projected externally
0: and you've lost all perspective right? Yeah, um, On what it you're is brilliant. you're actually At doing. That
1: point, you're like, yeah. here's the dopamine lever. Let's go.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I know we, I'm aware we've gone over time. Do you have time to talk through one more? Because I, I yeah. did want to get to your third. Okay. So this is going to be a long one. And I, I'm i not apologizing for that because this is great <laughs> stuff, guys. So just keep listening. Um, this final post, I think it speaks like it. You've you've made such an amazing transition to it. You know it starts some of the most glorified i'll just read this you know i know i'm stealing your voice here some of the most glorified coaches i've encountered in elite sport are not good coaches that's that's the opening two by four across the forehead that comes with this one and i say amen this is this is this is a point i've been trying to make for a long time and um gosh i haven't found a real warm reception for it so i'm happy to give one other person a warm reception for it. Like, where are we going here? Let, let, let's go on this journey together.
1: Yeah, I just, you know, at the end of the day, we have to know ourselves. We have to know what we value. And I think there's so much misalignment with that. And there, I'm sure you can relate to this, but there are times in recruiting where it's like, I'm selling these values, I'm selling a false reality that I know is not actually what's happening where I'm at.
0: Yeah, you're we're a family, but um, you know, it's an abusive family.
1: Yeah, we're we're all yeah. a family. We value integrity. Meanwhile, it's like, if you don't break the fucking recruiting rules, then you know, you're not going to be a good head coach and you're not going to win. And it's like, I I just don't want to break the rules. I don't. I don't want to. That's just not who I am. I'm never gonna. If I have to be a head coach and I don't win because I'm not breaking every rule and I'm not Snapchatting my athletes at 10 p.m., well then I guess I just. That's it. I would rather not win. And I have seen that like so many times where you sell something and you're like we. We care about you. We want you to grow as a human. Like, we really want to teach and embody these qualities. Yet, again, it's all of the pressure, the expectation, the dopamine. It's like when you're actually in it, nothing that you're selling and recruiting is what you're doing as a coach. And some of the coaching is what I really think about is. It's always about the energy because most of our communication is nonverbal. 93% of it is. So it doesn't That's matter. That's why we're doing
0: this over video. <laughs> <laughs> we had a discussion about whether we were going to go to audio because of our, some of our internet issues, but then we would, you're right. We'd be leaving a lot of the communication on the table. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so when you understand really the mind and emotions and how that all works, if, a coach is stressed out and thinking, you know, I'm so much better than this athlete and they're a piece of shit and they're frustrated, right? You're not doing what I need you to do so that I can feel good. Right. <laughs> that becomes projected. It doesn't matter what you say. It's, it's how it's said. And, you know, in my coaching, I believe in being direct. I am direct. I I tell people how it is, but it's it's about the intention behind. Like I will be direct because I want someone to see where their blind spot is. It's like, oh, yeah. well, if you want to if you want to achieve this time, and these are the things you need to do. This is what I'm seeing you're doing right now. What's in the way of that? Because your actions aren't in alignment, and so. It's not that I don't believe in directness and challenging, but it's the energy and the intention behind it. And if it's from frustration of, I need you to do this so that I can be okay, you're projecting to some athlete, you're not good enough, you're, you're a piece of shit. I don't value you as a human. Like all of those subconscious thoughts that are happening and then become communicated non-verbally, that is then internalized for so many athletes. And I know this because I've been working with athletes, (laughs) elite athletes for the last year. And I'm like, why don't you trust yourself? And it's like, well, this coach called me a bitch or this coach did this to me or said this about my body or um, made me feel like I was a failure, didn't, didn't acknowledge me after I stopped achieving for them. Just I got injured and then they were like, I don't really care about you anymore. And so I just have noticed where this all comes from and it does, it does impact lives for the rest of their lives. You know, these are people that are moving out of sport, but now they're, they're stuck in those things that they've internalized and they can't express fully, you know, their, their gifts because they don't trust themselves because some coach has projected, you know, you're, you're not, cutting it you're not good enough
0: well i think i think what part of what you get to here and i that that resonates with me is that yes they get into the coach that gets into this situation where they are so frustrated and they're they're chasing that thing and i think you actually make a really good distinction that it is it is it's not necessarily they, they, they may come across or you may be perceived as somebody who's directly communicating. But when somebody that you're coaching is not doing what you want and your response is to attack their person, like attack their self, that's actually kind of passive aggressive in its own way. Like you, what would be direct would be to say even some, some version of your internal discussion where you go, do you know what? Um, I deserve to have a good experience doing this, too. And when I come to practice and I try to tell you something that you could do to get better, I- I'm not having a good experience. But that requires a level of vulnerability that it, that is not encapsulated in, you know, you're such a piece of shit, get off the wall and go. Like, <laughs> it, it. you have to admit that you're a person with feelings, that brings your own, you know, stuff to to, to whatever you're doing, um, and it's it's certainly quite a bit harder. And what I see in coaches, and why I think the work that you're doing is valuable, and why I um, think what I'm doing is valuable, too, is I see coaches that are in an incredibly stressed situation. They're at the end of the rope. They're out of tools in their toolkit, and that's when they go to this. You know, that's when they go to and the um,
1: kids like you know the athletes on full scholarship so you're like this kid's on full scholarship right. and now i gotta manipulate and con- control and you know what it's it really does it sucks when someone that is on full scholarship is like not not loving swimming but number one sure. is that a result of the environment number two they might just be burnt out and they might just not want to swim and, and as a coach, what you were saying is being vulnerable enough to say, like, something's not working here. I'm not enjoying my experience of coaching you. You're not receiving the coaching. So what's going on? Like, right. you know, my, my coach, Jim Steen, would always ask people, like, do you really want to do this? Yeah. And it's okay if you don't. But... If you're going to do it half ass, then go do something else. And I think that is something that is different when you when you have scholarships, but it still doesn't change the fact that you can't manipulate and control another human being without really negatively impacting their self-worth for the rest of their life because then they feel like they they're doing things out of fear. Like they're just, they're afraid that if they don't do what this coach told them that they're going to lose their scholarship or they're going to be shamed in front of the team, or they're going to be bullied or whatever it is. And that experience is like walking on eggshells. They will carry with them for the rest of their life.
0: Right. Right. Well, um, this has been an amazing conversation. Before we go, I want you know anybody who's listened to this, I want them to be able, if they want to know more about you, if they want to reach out to you, if they want to uh, engage you for something, do all your plugs. Tell people where they should go if they want to do those things. And then I'll do my own plugs and then we'll sign off. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, this has been a fun combo. So thanks for having me and giving me the space yeah, to welcome. share. I really. Appreciate it. Haven't been back fully in the swimming world since I left. So, um, yeah. And then you can find me at my very original old business name <laughs> handle.
0: <laughs> yeah. Search for Nikki Cat Coaching on Instagram, Nikki right? I'm, I guess we shouldn't Instagram. do the whole URL. It's
1: also URL. my email. Um, okay. Nikki Cat Coaching at gmail.com. And then I'm down two K's, two
0: T's, right? Two
1: K's, two T's. Yeah. And um dabbling on the TikTok world but I'm not sure everyone wants to hop over in that that arena yet cuz that's a oh, total for sure. I'm yeah, terrified.
0: I'm terrified. Uh you're braver than me if you're dabbling in that. I I don't think I don't think I could withstand TikTok on a, on a um I've got more work to do I think before where <laughs> I could do that. Yeah, um thank you to everybody for listening. If you want more positive psychology based content from me and occasionally a shared post from, from Nikki and uh, in an Instagram story. Um, Christie underscore coach on Instagram. hands coaching on Facebook. This uh, podcast will be shown on a YouTube channel um, where I just got a new handle. So if you go to youtube.com slash Christie coach, just all um, straight in a row, no underscore, like the Instagram, um, you can find that stuff here. Uh, this is released as a podcast available on iTunes and Spotify. So subscribe. Subscriber numbers are going up by the day. I'm really excited to see that. Um, One more time, thank you to everybody for listening, and uh, we'll be back again next week.